Greetings, I'm Will Tompkins, and this is the Narrow Way Podcast. This series of episodes is our study of John Bunyan's timeless book, The Pilgrim's Progress, Part 2, Christiana's Story. Links to our source text will be found in the description field of each episode in this series. In this Pilgrim's Progress Part 2 episode, we'll be discussing Mr. Brisk, Matthew's sickness and the remedy, as well as the sights shown our pilgrims. But first, a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, together we come before you now seeking your truth, the wisdom to understand it, the courage to pursue it, and the strength to endure it. And by these things, Father, may we bring you glory and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Now as a brief review, what does the house beautiful represent? Well, a church, a coming together to worship, learning the ways of the Lord, strengthening for the journey that lies ahead. And remember, A church can be just two or three gathering in his name. Amen. Now, on to Mr. Brisk. As our pilgrims had been at the House Beautiful for quite a while now, the word had spread that a fair young maiden was visiting, prompting one Mr. Brisk to call upon mercy. Now, Mr. Brisk was a man of this world, a religious pretender who was struck by mercy to whom he offered love and marriage. And whenever he sees her, she's busy making things, clothing mostly. He tells his friends that she's industrious and will surely make a good housewife. Mercy confides in the maidens of the house and asks, what kind of man is he? And at this, she finds out that he's a very busy young man, one whose religion is pretense, and that he is a stranger to the power of that which is good. Mercy says she will, then, turn her attentions elsewhere, as she has vowed never to have a clog to my soul. The maidens tell her that simply continuing to make things for the poor will turn him away soon enough. So the next time he comes calling, he asks, How much can you earn a day? And she answers, essentially nothing at all. For I do these things, she says, that I may be rich in good works, laying up in store a good foundation against the time to come, that I may lay hold on eternal life. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, the scripture says, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy, Let them do good, that they may be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. 
1 Timothy 6, 17, 19. Now in answer to Mr. Brisk's question about what she did with the clothes she made, she answers that she gives them away, that they are to clothe the naked. And at this, Mr. Brisk came no more. Well, not only does he come no more, but he cleverly distances himself from his sin, his spiritual pretense, his miserable worldly weakness. And how does he do this? By telling anyone who will listen that mercy was a pretty lass, but troubled with ill conditions. So instead of acknowledging the shameful state of his soul, he is proactive in publicly shaming her. Here's the sad truth, loved ones. There are vastly more people in this world like Mr. Brisk than there are those like Mercy. And exactly what Mr. Brisk does to Mercy, his contemporary counterparts do and will continue to do to you and to me. People like Mr. Brisk hold a worldview that sees truth as subjective, morality as a choice, and behavior as experimental. I'll conclude with Mr. Brisk by mentioning Mercy's sister, Bountiful, who married a man just like he, a churl, as the author writes, meaning a mean-spirited miser, a pretender, which resulted in yet another unequally yoked couple. In the end, Bountiful's husband quite publicly divorced her, casting her out without means or sustenance. Being a person of the Lord in an unequally yoked relationship, whether married or friends, never seems to go well. The pull of the world, strengthened by the tug of the spouse or friend, quite often overcomes the believer. Stand your ground, loved ones. Keep the faith. Check how your armor is fitting day by day. Amen. Now you will remember that it was near the gate to House Beautiful that Matthew, the oldest of Christiana's children, gathered up some fruit that came from the other side of the wall, as it had fallen from the limbs that hung over that wall. Now as it turns out, what's on the other side is Beelzebub's orchard, where nothing good for the Lord's people ever grows. But there's Matthew reaching up, reaching down, plucking this fruit as fast as he can and gorging on it. All of which brings us to his sickness. Bunyan tells us, Now Matthew, the eldest son of Christiana, fell sick, and his sickness was sore upon him, for he was much pained in his bowels, so that he was with at times pulled, as twere both ends together. A description, I think, that needs no further illustration. His mother, quite distressed, calls an approved physician, one Mr. Skill, who wants to know what he's eaten lately. Christiana answers, nothing, nothing but that which is wholesome. Mr. Skill seems to know all too well that it's something else entirely. And now, shedding some light on the truth, Matthew's younger brother Samuel speaks up, Reminding his mother of the fruit that Matthew ate at the gate, Christiana remembers the incident and in that she properly scolded the naughty boy. At the time, though, she had no idea that it was Satan's fruit. But that's exactly what Mr. Skill tells her, isn't it? 
Here's how Bunyan tells it. I knew he had eaten something that was not wholesome food, and that food, to wit, that fruit, is even the most hurtful of all. It is the fruit of Beelzebub's orchard. I do marvel that none did warn you of it. Many have died thereof. Let's stop here for a moment and ponder that everlasting truth. I mean, isn't this exactly what happened in the garden? Listen, loved ones, we cannot live a life that honors the living God while continuing to eat from Satan's orchard. Not only does this not honor him, it dishonors him. Here's a question for the times we're in. Does no one fear the living God? Oh, Father, Father, trembling we come before you, beseeching you to turn our eyes from such fruit. Bind our arms and clamp our fists that we may not lift such fruit to our mouths, lest we fall upon our knees in sickness. Amen. At this, Christiana again chastises Matthew, but also takes the blame upon herself. Bunyan writes, Then Christiana began to cry, and she said, Oh, naughty boy, and oh, careless mother, what shall I do for my son? Now Mr. Skill assures her that Matthew might very well be made right again, but he must, and I quote, purge and vomit. So Mr. Skill makes him a physic, but it turns out to be too weak. So he makes another for this specific purpose. Bunyan writes that it was made ex carne et sanguini Christi, which is Latin for flesh and blood of Christ. Doesn't this sound a lot like being in Christ, honoring him, believing in him, trembling before him, doing good in his name? And doesn't the action here, the taking of the physic, represent Holy Communion? Yes, of course. Christ is always the answer, isn't he? And Holy Communion reminds us of that. Amen. In John 6, 54, 57, we read, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. Amen. You will remember that this last, most powerful physic was in the form of pills. Matthew resisted taking them, complaining of their bitterness and that he would vomit them up again. So Christiana puts one to her lips and exclaims that they were sweeter than honey. And at that she begs him, for the love of all those around him, to take it. What does the world tell us, loved ones? For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the very power of the living God. Amen. Well, the short of it is this. Matthew takes the physic as directed by Mr. Skill and is made well. His mother orders several boxes of it because these pills are a universal remedy for sin 
and the suffering therefrom. Now these pills are to be taken three at a time while fasting and half a quarter of a pint of the tears of repentance. What do you think the three represents? Think the Trinity. Well, now that he's feeling better, Matthew is both repentant and eager to not only share his experience, but also to be instructed by prudence as to the meaning of things. I won't repeat that instruction here, for it's quite plainly written in the text. That said, I will call your attention to his first and last questions. One, why must the physic be bitter to our palates? As Prudence answers, so as to show how unwelcome the word of God and the effects thereof are to a carnal heart. And two, what may one learn by hearing the cock crow? And Prudence answers, so as to remember Peter's sin and Peter's repentance. The cock's crowing shows also that the day is coming on. Let then the crowing of the cock put thee in the mind of that last and terrible day of judgment. Are we ready for that day, loved ones? All of what's happened here and this conversation between Prudence and Matthew illustrate the work necessary for the victory attained when restoring a backslider. Amen. Brethren, James exhorts us in 5.19.20, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Amen. Now as their time at House Beautiful had come to an end and they prepared to leave, Joseph reminded his mother to inquire of the interpreter if he would send Greatheart to be their conductor for the rest of their way. The boy's reminder was a good thing because Christiana had forgotten. So putting pen to paper, she wrote the request and asked the porter, Mr. Watchful, to have it delivered to the interpreter. Upon receipt, he agreed immediately, saying, Tell them, I will send him. Now as they waited, the whole house gathered together to praise the Lord for their many blessings and thanked him for such profitable guests as these. I would just interject here to say that we as followers of the Lord must strive always to be profitable guests. The maidens tell Christiana that it's their custom to show some special things to the pilgrims that come their way things upon which they may meditate. And so they did. There was an apple that Eve had eaten from, as well as angels on Jacob's ladder. And then there was a golden anchor hanging in a room. It was the anchor of hope. They asked Christiana to take it down, for you shall have it with you in case you should meet with turbulent weather. This represents our need to be steadied during trying times, to persevere, knowing there is hope and that hope does not disappoint. Now, as Mason writes, this is the anchor of hope. This keeps the soul safe and steady to Jesus, who alone is the object of our hopes. Hope springs from faith. 
It is an expectation of the fulfillment of those things that are promised in the word of truth by the God of all grace. Faith receives them, trusts in them, relies upon them, and hope waits for the full accomplishment and enjoyment of them. Amen. Just then, there's a knock on the door. It's Greatheart. He's returned. And he brings with him refreshments for their journey, provided by his Lord. And even with the talk of trouble up ahead, Matthew says, Mother, fear nothing as long as Mr. Greatheart is to go with us and to be our conductor. Now Christiana turns her attention to the porter, to whom she is much indebted, and thanks him for the love and the kindness that has been paid to her, her children, and mercy. And with that, she places a token of her respects in his hand. It is an ancient coin of a gold angel. He bows deeply and sends her off with this message. Let thy garments be always white, and let thy head want no ointment. Let mercy live and not die, and let not her works be few. And to the boys, he says, do flee your youthful lusts and follow after godliness with them that are grave and wise. So shall you put gladness into your mother's heart and obtain praise of all that are sober-minded. So they thanked the porter and departed. Praise be to God. Let us pray. Grateful are we, Father God, for your presence here with us. Grateful that you have guided our thoughts to your everlasting truths, that we have stood basking in the warmth of your love, and that we have seen your power and tremble before it. Guide us now, Father, to your fields, and instruct us in our tasks. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in our next lesson, we'll cover the Valley of Humiliation. Until then, loved ones, may the Comforter be with you always to guide you in the way that leads to the city.